Welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast, where your host, Isabel Ross, interviews experts and athletes in the field of endurance sports. Isabel Ross is a three-time Australian long-distance mountain running representative at the World Championships with a best finishing place of 10th female. Twice Australian trail champion, she has won the six-foot track marathon, run a sub-three-hour marathon, and won a 24-hour track race overall with a distance of 198.7 kilometers, as well as competing in and winning grueling ultramarathons in rugged, mountainous terrain. Isabel has raced all over the world, including participating in the notorious Barkley Marathons. Isabel is an Australian and USA-accredited endurance coach working with athletes of all levels and is a certified UESCA ultra running coach. She's also a personal trainer and podcast host. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Episode 94 is an interview with Dr. Nick Fuller. Nick works as a clinician and researcher looking at the biological imperative to regain weight, and this is why 95% of people fail long-term in their weight loss journey, and how we can overcome the body's usual response to weight loss, which is basically to hang on to the weight. Many people start running to lose or control weight, myself included, so this discussion is particularly relevant in helping people meet their long-term goals in keeping weight off. Now, for something different for a future episode, I am asking listeners to record a message to answer the question, what did you learn from 2020? This can be running or endurance sports related or not. I just want to hear how uh, the events of 2020 and with COVID and lockdowns and so on, what you gained from that, what you learned from that. And all you have to do to contribute is go to the show notes and click the link to send me a message with your thoughts. You will have to create an account with Anchor, but that just means it will be easier for you next time that I ask for listener input. Um, They only go for one minute, so try to be concise. If you have a longer message, but still not too long, maybe two to three minutes, you could um, message me on Facebook isabel.r and record onto that. Please do a voice recording rather than typing as I would like to add it to the podcast. And I can't wait to hear your answers. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate all the people who've taken the time to go onto Apple Podcasts to rate, review and subscribe. Glenn Vinner gives five stars and says, great podcast. I listened to, I've listened to many of Isabel's podcast episodes now and they are enjoyable and informative. She has many great guests and covers a wide range of running related topics. I like the fact the episodes are usually fairly long, 45 to 60 minutes, go into, and go into good detail on the topic being covered. These are conversation style podcasts and feel pretty easy listening. Isabel has a likeable personality and I find myself relating to a lot of the things she has to say. Thanks so much, Glenn. I really appreciate your kind words. And if you enjoy this episode, please do go on over and rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to also go and look on YouTube for the video recordings of all the episodes. They are there. Now, as racing comes back with a vengeance, I am getting busier and busier. I now only have a few athlete spots left. So if you are interested in a structured individualised, if I could even say it, training, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au or contact me on socials. Enjoy the interview with Nick. (laughs) 
Are injuries or niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Get on top of these and see the specialists at Health and High Performance. Utilising the latest in technology and with a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can assist you with all of your running injury and performance needs. So to get back to enjoying your running and achieving the results you're capable of, head to www.healthhp.com.au forward slash run or find them on Instagram at healthhighperformance. Health and High Performance are located in Montalbert, Melbourne, but are available for telehealth appointments, not only Australia-wide, but also around the world. Contact them on their website to find out more. Wild Earth Australia are the online store to help you make the most out of the outdoors with top quality gear at a great price. Peak Endurance podcast listeners can use the discount code Peak Endurance in all capitals, to get 10% off at checkout. Head on over to wildearth.com.au to get everything you need for your next adventure. Hi, Nick, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thanks very much, Isabel, for having me on. No worries. Now, can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your athletic and running background? Sure. So from a work perspective, I work at the University of Sydney, Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, uh, in a state-of-the-art facility, very lucky, called Charles Perkins Centre. So it's basically bringing together clinicians, researchers, together in one place. Um, and here at this centre, we have an obesity clinic, weight management service, uh, which is the largest in Australia. And we're literally seeing thousands and thousands of patients every year um, to help them on their long-term weight loss journey. Obviously, many people that have excess weight also have conditions like diabetes, heart disease, et cetera. So um, it, it's, it's not sometimes just dealing with the weight, but also the conditions, diseases, illnesses that they're also suffering from. Um, so my own personal um, love is sport and running, obviously, which got me uh, switched on to your podcast. I used to um, be very competitive in uh, track and field and still run, but that was as a 400-metre hurdler. And then I guess my work will tie in um, and does tie in very nicely to what our goals and ambitions are often when we start running. Um, or take up a sport and that's being weight loss yeah no that's that's exactly right um so uh 400 meter runner that what well, that's certainly a bit different to to clearly what i do yes <laughs> I mean, it is Endurance. 400 meters is my idea of a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> and probably exactly. vice versa <laughs> oh, very much i'm all about sprint all out effort and i'm done yeah like yeah. <laughs> yeah no um <laughs> I'm like the complete opposite. I'm a diesel. <laughs> yep, you are. <laughs> um, no, an obesity clinic. So um, how does that sort of, you know, just sort of getting onto that, how does that sort of, when did that start? Like when has that started to become such a big problem in our society? Yeah, so it wasn't a problem for the majority of us but before mm. the sort of 1970s. 1970s hit, 1980s in particular, and we see this yeah. sharp, increase in the prevalence or the number of people that are struggling with their weight when you look at the statistics now it's roughly two in three people when you walk around the streets that are carrying a little bit of extra weight around the midriff um, hips stomach um, but clinically diagnosed as overweight um, or and or obesity so look it's something we're all struggling with why at the 70, 1970s 1980s well we saw a shift 
in the environment towards what we call the obesogenic environment. There's all these favorite processed foods on every corner of every block. We stop moving as much. We use cars, motor vehicles to get us from A to B. So our incidental activity goes down. Um, But also, obviously, that has a huge flow and effect with other things like our sleep health. So you've got this sort of um, holistic disturbance in our lifestyle. And as, as a consequence, something's got to give. Our waistline ends up giving 0.5 to 1 kilo increase every year. But then guess what happens? Part of our work is looking at these people long term. When they present to our clinics, they've often been out there trying to do something about their weight. You know, they're not sitting there at home doing nothing, particularly women. They are the first to put up their hand and admit um, they have a problem. They're trying to lose the weight, but they diet. And yeah. this only accelerates their problem. So we have some really good research across the globe and from our works showing that every bout of dieting or starvation, caloric restriction actually sees you lose weight. We know that, yeah. but then you end up going um, not only back to your start point, but a little bit heavier. And we'll get into some of that detail as to why that look, dieting is not the answer and it's going to actually accelerate your problem. And you won't just put on the 0.5 to 1 kilo every year. You'll put on the 1 to 1.5 to 2 kilos every year. Oh, wow. Yeah, <clears throat> that's, that's really interesting. Um, now, you are also, you look at um, what you call the biological imperative that causes people to regain weight. Uh, which yes. is kind of what you're talking about there. So um, when you call it a biological imperative, what, is that, what does that mean? Yes, it can be quite technical and, you know, scientists sometimes aren't very good at breaking it down in layman's terms. But a, a large part of my work, um, you know, we work in a clinical setting, helping people face-to-face, but it's one thing to do that research and work with patients one-on-one Um, but you've got to be able to translate that to the broader community and talk to people about the implications of not only, you know, being overweight, but how you need to deal with that and why it's important to follow evidence-based care so that they don't keep buying into the latest and greatest diets um, and accelerating their problems. So you asked a very important um, question there, and it's it's basically um, the reason why we are failing long-term. So if we think about it simply... Um, you know, you're struggling with weight. So what do you do? You go and follow some sort of diet plan, caloric restriction. You do it, and we know you can do it for sort of four to 12 weeks. And then we say, what the hell? We'll give in. And because it's, it's, it's too drastic, a change. It's cutting out certain foods, food groups. We're starving. We're miserable. Mm. We're following these strict militant exercise programs, et cetera, and we can't stick to it. So we go back to our old ways. Now, that's one part of it. And often we think, okay, I didn't succeed because of a lack of willpower. I just didn't stick to it long enough. But that's actually not the main reason. Now, some of these diets are better in terms of nutritional balance and easier to stick to, but guess what's going on? It is that biological imperative, which you just mentioned to regain weight. So what that means is when you start to lose weight, you sign up to a diet after a few kilos of weight loss, your body fights the weight loss. Mm -hmm. Your metabolism will go down. Your appetite hormones will change, telling you to eat more. Your thyroid function will be suppressed, which means your metabolism slows. There's basically eight well-researched biological pathways or physiological responses that take place when you lose weight. So you're unfortunately doomed the minute you sign up to that next diet. And despite the good marketing, um, rebranding that these diet companies do, this is what's happening. You lose 
and you regain, you lose, you regain. And you do this four to five times every year and you accelerate the problem. Look, if diets worked, we wouldn't see this increase in prevalence or number yeah. of people. And this is ever since the 70s and 80s where the problem became evident. Guess what? It has boomed. That's the dieting industry. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, uh, one can see that within society itself, but how does this relate yes. to runners? Yeah, that's, I guess, you know, that is the question, right? So usually when you go out to lose weight, there's several different approaches you can take. We talked about just food, um, caloric mm. restriction, but often we, we, we take up sport. And one of um, those great loves is uh, running. We, we, when we start running, um, the weight piles off, okay? Because we're using a huge um, part of our bottle, our engine, is burning a lot of energy and over time that means you know we are burning putting a lot of calories out and the weight starts to go down but sadly for people that are very heavy starting weights eventually the body gives way they get injured and they can't keep up their running routine so mm. we can sort of tackle how to to navigate that but then secondly even if they can persist with their training routine the same thing's going to happen the body's going to shut down and the body will fight the weight loss so if you look at these people that, um, uh, you know, I guess are on these long-term journeys, they have eventually regained the weight. There's fewer than 5% that can keep that weight off long-term. Um, so it's very small statistics. So 95% are basically going out, following a diet and or sport, running, exercise, um, and eventually the body's going to shut down. And beyond what basically us scientists can account for, and then when it shuts down, you claw back that weight, you regain and you end up going back heavier than when you were before. So you've got this set point, you're at that weight now, you lose weight, you climb back to your set point, but you actually increase your set point to prepare for the next bout of starvation. So with running, it's no different. It's just one of those things that we sort of use as a solution to weight. Um, it's a very effective one because of all of that huge amount of energy that you burn when you're training and, and competing but same thing is going to happen when you when you're starting to lose weight and the more weight you lose it's going to slow down it's going to get harder to lose that weight but also remember your body shutting down eventually when you follow these people up they are going back to their start point unless they can keep up very very heavy strict regimented training routines but remember it's a very very small percent so um you know what what is what hope is there and and is there any point in taking up exercise to lose weight yes there's definitely hope and there's 100 percent you should be taking up exercise to lose weight running is a fantastic way of doing that but when you go about um that weight loss and training routine there's a certain way you need to implement it so a large part of the work we're doing is obviously researching what happens within a person's body when they lose weight. We want to prevent or switch off these biological protections I'm talking about, the metabolism decrease, the appetite hormones telling you to eat more, the thyroid function being suppressed, the adrenal, gland, adrenal glands pumping out more cortisol. Basically, you turn that off and you will succeed. And we now know, which is, um, again, a large part of what I do, but translating the science from a clinical setting to the general public and that's in the form of this interval weight loss program so i'm just going to quickly say it's got nothing to do with intermittent fasting oh, good. okay so we will <laughs> we will clear up what it is 
yeah. um, but it's interval weight loss. And, and this is, broadly speaking, getting a person to lose a small amount of weight, a couple of kilos over the course of a month. So you could be out, you're going on your training routines, you're running, then the next month, yeah, have to actually stop the weight loss. So okay. you have to ease off on the training. You have to ease off on the intensity and you have to ensure you maintain your weight the next month. Then you're allowed to go on and lose again another couple of kilos, maintain. So it looks like a sort of stepped pyramid, down, across, down, across. Why two to three kilos? Because that's the weight loss that we're allowed to achieve before our body then kicks into that fight or flight response and fights the weight loss. Plus 0.5 um, kilos per week of weight loss is realistic and achievable yeah. for most, um, mm. and it's easy to follow. But the most important thing there is, you know, from the methodology point of view, um, it's one of these principles which we fight, refer to as you can't fight evolution, you must lose a small amount, two kilos, then maintain, then lose, maintain, lose, maintain. So if you're running, you're training, um, what does it look like? It's probably higher intensity training, greater volume of training one month. The next month, you ease off on the training, you ease off on the intensity. And this is also allowing us to achieve our training goals, mm. prevents injuries and setbacks. Then you kick it up again and you train hard again, lose another couple of kilos. So it actually helps you long-term with your training anyway. And importantly, will help you with your long-term weight loss. So this sort of approach allows a person to lose up to 12 kilos a year. So it's roughly two kilos every second month. Now, look, typically it's a bit frustrating for someone when they first hear this because they're like, I want to lose 12 now. Yeah. Sure, you can lose 12 now, but you'll put 13, 14 back on just as quick. So it's about seeing that long-term picture and implementing into your training uh, routine that will help you not only with training, preventing injury, but also long-term weight loss. So, so what I'm hearing is obviously um, when, when the body uh, stops you losing weight, it's, it's trying to protect itself because it thinks a period of starvation is coming along. Am I correct in that? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So yep. your, your body, as soon as it sort of two, three kilos kicks in, um, you know, depending on what their starting weight is, it's, it's up to 5% of weight loss. That's when your body's going to go into protection mode. Yeah. And that's what you want to switch off. So that's why we say two kilos every second month. Um, yeah. And that will then prevent those biological protections kicking into gear. And so then I guess you're kind of tricking, tricking that by saying, no, no, it's okay. We've got plenty of food. We're not overstressing with exercise. And then once the body is like, oh, that's okay. I don't need to worry about that. Then you go at it again. Absolutely. That's spot on. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously it's not just our training. Um, yep. You summed it up well there and it's not depriving yourself as well. So food, yeah. again, dieting is all about deprivation, isn't it? It's like yeah. restriction. It is madness. Yeah. You can do that. And, and sure, you can do it for a short period of time, the four to 12 weeks. You're miserable. Your body's malnourished. You're going to get mm. injured, especially if you're training hard. So yeah. what we teach people is sort of six principles, six steps to the approach. And it does tackle the food, um, the methodology, lose on, off, on, off, and also other things like your activity and your sleep health. So you're saying um, also... Um, not to use diets you know like and in running you'll find many people who swear by veganism or keto you know low carb high fat all sorts of things why what do you recommend instead of a, a radical diet and why are radical diets perhaps not so so good yeah good question so look 
when it comes to dieting, we know people lose weight and it can mm. be the vegan, it can be the, the keto. Some have better health um, outcomes than others as well. But this is what's happening. You, you do see the decrease. And then when you follow these people up, um, you know, within that five-year window, sort of the remission time, they're yeah. back there or they're heavier. That's what the yeah. data shows. Fewer than 5% keep that weight off longer than five years. So despite those short-term wins everyone's talking about, the anecdotal reports on, on you know, the latest and greatest diet, follow these people up long-term. And not only is their weight regained, but their health is worse because they're cutting out foods or food groups yeah. that are important for our health. I mean, think about whole grain carbohydrates. We know they're important for prevention of disease. Yeah. If you take them out with some of these certain or, um, specific eating practices, sure, again, you get that quick result on the scale, but you're putting your health at long-term risk. Plus, you need them for, for training and recovery. Okay, So that's another important part. So look, it doesn't matter what diet it is, you're going to get this, the down-up. Yeah. It's like this V-shaped response. Now, I talked about how you switch off the biological protections and the physiological responses with this interval weight loss approach. Again, this is the dietary and eating approach you need to be taking. So within that, there is six principles. There's plenty of information online about this, and I've also written three books on it. Okay. But basically, it's saying to a person it's much simpler than we've been taught. You don't need to be counting calories. Just simply switching from processed packaged foods to more wholesome, nutritious foods from your whole grains, your protein and your fat sources, every meal is balanced. You see a reduction in 500 calories um, per day anyway. So don't worry about counting calories and weighing out grams of food. You have to focus on big to small throughout the day. Breakfast is the most important meal and dinner is the most important from a social and cultural, but it's the least important from portions. So we get a person to go from big to small and we get them to sit down and use something they're uncomfortable with at the evening meal time, like chopsticks, a teaspoon, an oyster fork to slow down their eating habits. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's simple. It's easy. Mm. And, it, and it really does make you think about what you're putting into your mouth. I mean, this whole dieting and, and on-the-go eating has basically mm. meant we don't appreciate what we're putting into our body and we don't allow time for the appetite signaling system to be working between organs such as your stomach and your brain telling you you're full. So, you know, again, this, this, this approach, this IWL approach is saying, hey, eat big to small, roughly three-fifths of food at breakfast, two at lunch, one at dinner. Keep going back for salad and vegetables. Don't cut out foods and food groups. You can have whole grain carbs, you can have protein, and you can have fat at every meal. It needs to be balanced. And um, take that complexity out of the calorie counting and, and, and all of that because, again, your body's far smarter than that. Simply switching to more wholesome, nutritious foods does see an incidental reduction in your calories anyway. Um, and you only need a small reduction to achieve that two kilos of weight loss every second month especially if you're focusing, focusing on a lot of training. What about if you're already basically eating a healthy diet and as a runner and mm. you're perhaps not, not obese, but you're wanting to lose some weight to, you know, for race weight or whatever it is, and you're eating a basically healthy diet, you just want to lose a few kilos, but what do you do then? Yeah, so this is good too. And we do, we're now doing a lot more research with athletes because they have to make weight for sports. Mm. 
um, and we want to prevent them weight cycling because often yeah. they will restrict, make weight, and then guess what? The weight goes back. And then long-term when they retire, they're in a really bad position. Yes. Um, and very similar to a serial dieter in terms of what happens to their weight trajectory long-term, it blows out. So if you're in that position and you're already eating healthy, great, but you can also reassess what you should be putting into your body. I, I mean, this this information does clear up a lot of misconceptions. Often we think we should be cutting out those, those foods, certain fruits, dairy, et cetera, because of the mix, uh, mixed messaging through uh, media. And again, what diets push, but a lot of that is nonsense. And, and those foods are good for our health, but also weight management. So I guess just make sure it is nutritionally complete. And then secondly, certainly don't deprive sometimes you actually need an increase in food consumption to see a decrease in your weight yes. so it might seem crazy but sometimes you're not putting enough food in your body and guess what your body's learned to shut down and you actually need to increase it but increasing it from um you know the nature's treats the the nuts and seeds the the olive oils the fruits all of these things that make us feel good um, mm -hmm. but also fill us up for long periods of time and add the nutrition you need and then the second thing is you probably do need to just have an assessment of your training and exercise output. If you're doing uh, too much, again, your body will shut down. Sometimes easing off that intensity and the volume will see that weight change in the direction that you want. So look, it's, it's some people need to overhaul their whole lifestyle and address all of these six principles of the interval weight loss plan. But like you just mentioned, sometimes people are eating well um, doing great from a nutritional point of view, but they may need to make a couple of slight changes to get the weight change they're needed. And that might mean actually boosting up their food intake, eating more of the wholesome, nutritious foods and tapering off on their training intensity and volume. It seems counterintuitive, but yes, it certainly, it does work, doesn't it? Definitely. It does absolutely sounds counterintuitive. It's hard for a person to get their head mm. around, but it that's how what's happening within your body. It's very, very smart. It's not, and people who are used to training hard seem to, I think, sometimes feel that things need to be tough, and so they need to be hungry and work hard. But sometimes being a little bit kinder to the body um, pays dividends, I guess. One hundred percent. You have to listen to your body. You need to give it the rest. Mm. Um, performance will not, endurance will not keep improving if you're going all guns blazing all the time. The same thing happens with weight. You yeah. have to allow yourself the rest and the recovery and all of that good food. The more good food you give it, the better it's going to thrive. The more your metabolism is going to go up. So you really need to, I guess, rethink what you're putting into your body because sometimes you think you're doing the right thing, but often you're not. And there might be one or two tweaks you need to make. Yep. No, that's very true. Now, you mentioned sleep before. What um, effect does sleep have upon our weight? Yeah, a lot. So if you're sleep deprived, mm. um, sure, you're not going to be able to train as well and, and your output's not going to be as great, but you also make poor lifestyle choices. So when you wake up, um, you might, you know, uh, skip on the session or reduce what you plan to do, but you're also going to default for what you believe is a healthier food, uh, sorry, an easier food choice being the convenience store or the fast food or the processed food, something coming out of a packet. So when you, when you have good sleep quality, sleep and quantity of sleep, you're, gonna, um, you're more likely to prepare good food and put good food into your body, you know, train better, and then consequently has a flow and effect with your sleep health. So 
we simply tell people um, it's, it's one of those principles. It's no blue light after twilight. Uh, what you need to do is switch off your devices, technology, blue light in the evening time for at least an hour, if not two hours before bed to allow your brain um, to basically say it's nighttime instead of daytime because blue light does suppress melatonin production mm. um, and that's just going to keep you awake. And, and even if you do fall asleep, you're going to wake up and, and probably suffer from insomnia. So look, just allow yourself a time before bed where you're not using devices Read and does that include hobby. television? Yeah, it does. Try and switch off the TV. Um, yep. uh, even though the blue light, you know, wavelength length emission is going to vary enormously, um, you need to switch it off. Think about doing something different during that time um, because it's going to, you will notice a change. It not, might not happen straight away. It might take a month or two, uh, mm. but eventually it's going to have a good flow and effect with your health and your sleep. Yep. Now, what about... Um, Caffeine, because, you know, a lot of uh, athletes like to use caffeine to help them train. And maybe if they're training in the afternoon, they might want to have a coffee or a, a, you know, energy drink. What effect is that going to have upon us for our weight, for our sleep, for everything? Definitely. Yeah, I'm a culprit for this, especially when I was competing. Um, seriously, you know, caffeine as a stimulant before competition what you need to know is it is a stimulant mm. and it is going to have an effect on your sleep. There are short-term and long-term metabolizers. So sometimes, you know, there are many, there is a class of the population um, that do get away with having caffeine just before bed, but still it is heightening the activity of your brain. So yeah, in some cases, mm. yeah, in the worst case scenario, you're not going to be able to get to sleep. Mm. But even if you are and you're saying it doesn't affect me, it's still having an effect on your brain. And it's going to reduce the quality. So if you have that evening training routine, um, evening competition, you just need to remember that it's probably going to affect the quality. It will affect the quality, which has a flow and effect. Um, so it's the same, same with alcohol. I mean, you can, it'll help you get to sleep quicker, but then what? It, it, again, a heightened activity of the brain, you're awake, poor quality sleep. So caffeine has an effect and really you shouldn't be having caffeine um we say no later than 4 p.m but I, I think if you can push it to 2 p.m it, it's mm. even better you need to have a good six to eight hour block before bed um, where you're not having any stimulants now um you mentioned alcohol certainly um many ultra runners and, and some runners you know like to after a hard workout and that sort of thing have a beer or a wine and that sort of stuff what effect is that going to have on our our weight yeah so uh Look, it's, it's, if you're having more than, say, a standard drink um, or, or a self-pour glass every day, um, yeah. eventually, again, it's going to give way and something's going to give way. It's, it's your waistline. Uh, but if you're doing very high volumes of training, sure, those extra calories you're getting from alcohol are probably going to have next to nothing um, of an effect. But more importantly, look, we know you can have small amounts of alcohol and potentially get a health benefit and increasing your good or HDL cholesterol. Any more than that, you just want to need to remember it is a toxin. Mm. Um, it's going to have an effect on your sleep. And if you're trying to lose weight, um, it is empty calories beyond the sort of one drink. So you need to, to just be mindful of um, you know, what you're putting into your body if you, if you are an excessive or a binge drinker. A lot of athletes are, they, you know, mm. they, they tend to um, not have much at all and then all of a sudden a big event and they go wild right and 
we see this a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, it's something to be mindful of. And the fact that it's just more of a health hazard, but you can drink. Don't put down your favorite drink. You have to. This is all about leading a healthy, balanced lifestyle. And we actually find that those on their weight loss months of interval weight loss can have um, a glass a night and, you know, maybe a couple of alcohol free nights. And then in weight maintenance months, they might get away with a little bit more. And it really depends on how much you love it and how much you, you know, you really want it into your lifestyle. But by all means, um, it, it should not be excluded. Yeah, and and uh, it, it's good because I think it's it's all part of a balanced diet and and enjoying life if you enjoy alcohol, of course. Um, yes. Now, should we eat less on days that we train less, and you know, vice versa, more on the days we train more, or should we just sort of eat the same all along? We eat the same all along. You don't need to worry about that. Remember, it's simple as big to small. Now, yeah. why big to small? Um, in terms of research, science, um, that's because this is what I do. You actually burn the calories one and a half times more effectively at breakfast compared to dinner time. I'm not talking about the time of the day. I'm just talking, okay. you know, I'm not saying you need to eat at 4 p.m., 6 p.m. You can still eat at 8 p.m. Yeah. But if you sit down to two identical meals, your body metabolizes the food much better in the morning, one and a half times better than what you do in the evening time. And this is why we say eat from big to small when you're going out there on your weight loss journey. But in terms of your training, um, you just keep the same, a simple um, three fists, two fists, one fist is a rough guide to start with. Unlimited salad and vegetables, if that's not enough, particularly if you're doing a lot of training, a lot of ultra endurance, you need more. You might need four, three, two fists of food. Um, okay. plus snacks in between so it's it's about tailoring to your own individual needs but it's a good rough guide for everyone particularly when you're talking male to female because obviously most men do have um, larger palms fists than women and so and so you said unlimited like vegetables and salad so as much Definitely. as you like yeah yeah and, and again you know sorry no no go on i was just going to say you know it's, it's one of those things where we get we worry about certain vegetables. The dieting yes. issues like don't eat potatoes, don't eat um, pumpkin. And, it's madness. Yeah. Don't eat. You can eat all of them. They're all great, and they're going to help you with your health and weight loss journey. Put them on the plate. Don't keep them off. You don't need to restrict them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, a lot of people say, "Oh, potato, sweet potato, it's all full of carbs and that sort of stuff," and to not eat too much of them, especially at night. Nonsense. Yeah, absolute good. nonsense. Good to hear. Um, and when you're talking about snacking, what sort of things are okay for snacking? You know, yeah, so some people will go for like a protein bar or a muesli bar. What do you think of those? Yeah, of I, I guess as a priority, you want to reach for nature first. Okay. Yeah. Another key principle, those four words, what does it mean? It means having something in, in its natural state, but something that's high or naturally high in sugar and or fat. So Examples are nuts and seeds, mm. um, avocado, olive oil, fruits, plenty of naturally occurring sugars. Why these foods? Because they're full of fiber, um, full of vitamins and minerals, but also because they actually trigger all of those feel-good hormones in the brain. Yeah. And what we're doing at the moment is we're reaching for the processed package ones that also release the feel-good hormones uh, feel good chemicals but what you've got to do is retrain your brain to go back for nature's treats what we used to get during our time as ancestors we used to seek out and hunt out honey nuts and seeds they were our go-to options uh, when food was available we would you know gorge at the side of high calorie 
nutrient dense food. So you have to do the same. It's going to help you with your training and also importantly, um, fill you up for long periods of time and your long-term health outcomes. So you've got to surround yourself with them. If you don't have them around you at all times, it's going to be much easier to go to the vending machine or the fast food mm. takeaway corner store. Yeah. Now, what about the role of um, uh, liquids like water and, and those sorts of things and um, say, you know, sports drinks and that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, right. So I guess when you are doing a lot of training, you're depleting a lot of minerals um, and you, you are requiring a little bit of extra water for hydration, but we do get a lot of water from, um, again, nature's treats, the wholesome, mm. nutritious food. So in most instances, we're going to be hydrated from having a nutritionally balanced diet. But the very simple message is you need to have a glass of water before every meal, okay? Before breakfast, mm -hmm. before morning tea, before lunch, before afternoon tea, and then you need to be ta tailoring it off in the evening time so it doesn't disrupt your sleep. You don't want to be up all night urinating. Um, so try and put the bulk at the start of the day. And very simple cue for people is just have a glass or two glasses before every meal, particularly at the start of the day, and then taper off. And maybe you don't have that glass before the evening meal um, because there's a lot of people that forget to drink. Um, it also helps you curb whether... Um, you're actually hungry or just bored. Mm. Um, this has been particularly relevant during COVID where people start working from home. They go to the kitchen every two seconds looking for something, <laughs> reach for food. So, you know, make yourself a herbal tea. Um, that doesn't include green tea because that's also caffeinated or, yeah. or you know, um, some water, but have it, yeah, before each meal. It's a good, good simple way of implementing it in your life. Yep. Personally, myself, unfortunately, my first drink of the morning is probably coffee, but... <laughs> I'll well, try for water. Same, same, same here. I mean, look, I, 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 but I do um, always go and reach for a glass of water at the same time. Mm. Uh, it is important and just to set up that habit. It's very hard to do it to start with and also carry a bottle with you. So I always try yeah. and carry a water bottle too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's certainly a, a good idea. Um, is there anything else that we can do to help us, um, you know, even if we don't want to necessarily lose a, a lot of weight, but but maintain our weight, because certainly as we grow older, it's it's known that you just generally end up gaining weight. How do we not yes. fall into that trap, but just maintain a good, healthy weight for our lifetime? Yeah. Yes. Um, good question. So what tends to happen, particularly for women um, going through menopause, they mm. do see that um, increase in weight. Now, why? Look, hormones play a very minor role. What is largely happening is, the lifestyle's changing and it's not compensating um, for that, again, reduction in metabolism that you see, which is yeah. basically a process known as sarcopenia, where you see decline in muscle mass over the age of 40, both men and women. That's important to highlight. Um, but then you go through, you know, this stage of your life and you do put on five, maybe two, five, or even 10 kilos. Um, what you don't want to do, remember, is react by dieting. Um, I do encourage you just to equip, equip yourself with this information. Go to the library and borrow one of these interval weight loss books. So even the latest one does tackle menopause. Um, it will talk you through what is happening to your body during this time and how to mitigate the weight gain that comes with it. Um, and I guess the most important thing is, look, don't, don't fear it. Don't worry about the weight or excess weight you might be carrying. There is hope. Mm. Um, just don't react 
we want you to follow evidence-based care. It is much simpler than the dieting industry has made out to believe. They want you to keep buying their diets and failing. Um, but you look, you've got to, you still got to be accountable. Okay. You've got to be accountable to yourself. And often we come up with these identity excuses. Just change those into identity accountability statements to make yourself accountable. You know, log your weight over time, once a week, same time, same day. Um, and, you know, it keeps an eye on things. If you notice it's starting to go up, well, yeah, it's probably time for another weight loss month. Um, that will keep you within that healthy range, weight range. And then secondly, remember equipping yourself with the information on what you should be doing for good health. As you mentioned, you know, a lot of listeners are in great healthy weight ranges, but you might need to make a slight tweak or two to improve your long-term health. Mm. If you're cutting out the whole grains, the dairy, certain fruits, veggies, all these things we're talking about, it's going to have an effect on your long-term health and it might increase your risk of disease, lifestyle disease like heart disease, type 2 diabetes. So jump on that net, that now, make the necessary changes and they're not going to have a detrimental effect on your weight. They're going to have a positive effect by including them and a positive yes. effect on your health. Yeah. Now, um, you were quite clear about um, saying it was not intermittent fasting. What What is yes. wrong with intermittent fasting? Okay, from a health point of view, look, we know it. Um, is beneficial because we would often go long periods of time without yeah. food. Okay, we would have to hunt sometimes uh, days to get food, and hence our body, um, you know, it's same genes in in, this, in the modern day environment. Um, you implement that intermittent fasting, long periods of time without food. Of course, it's going to have health benefits. Mm. But why do we do it? We're doing it for decreasing our waistline, losing weight. It's not the answer. Guess what happens? All of these 5, 2, 16, 8, et cetera, approaches lose yeah. and then you put it back on. You lose, you put it back on. These people are no better off. It doesn't achieve any better results than any other diet or traditional caloric restriction. You're still seeing this V-shaped response. Mm. Um, and that's because, remember, your body's fighting the weight loss. This is the most important thing for people to understand. It's, it's not due to your lack of willpower. You, mm. you just can't fight what your body's going to do and, and and again it's due to that time as evolution our genes haven't changed you put them in the modern day environment this evolutionary mismatch happens your waistline goes up you react you diet but it's going to fight the weight loss so you've got to lose maintain lose maintain do the on off on off approach yeah and um what about uh many athletes swear by doing fasted runs or fasted exercise does that have, I mean, is that just basically another word for intermittent fasting? Well, look, a lot of people do that um, because they can't stomach huge volumes of food as well before training mm. or competition. And that's understandable. You know, you need to work within your, um, I guess, restraints, limitations, um, or what works best for you. But it's not going to have any better effect on fat burning. A lot of people say, I fast before, I'm going to burn fat stores. You don't, you burn the same amount of energy, okay? What is most important is obviously the course of the food over the over the day. We, we talked about why breakfast is more important. But look, if you're training early, you might not be able to eat large volumes. If you can have something small before you train, great. But importantly, have a large volume of food afterwards if it's in the morning um, because it's going to be good for recovery and your body's burning those calories um, very mm. efficiently. Yeah. All right. So do you have any um, final tips or tricks for... Um, 
listeners to to help them like feel that feeling of satiety and that sort of stuff as as well yeah so many of us are in the position where we're sort of suppressed um, our appetite signaling system mm. our metabolisms are sluggish because we have been dieting over and over and over again um, or we're restricting our food and doing very high volumes of food uh, training which means our body shuts down so it's it's about equipping yourself with the information making these slight um, adjustments to your life and implementing what is really six simple steps because that will help you with your long-term weight trajectory if you yeah. have to lose weight or in the instances where you need to maintain your weight, but then secondly, set you up for long-term health. Um, so what does it look like? Again, just briefly, it's like, you know, training hard and then easing off the intensity and volume, training hard to lose the two, switching off, training. It's going to help you with injury um, prevention and most importantly, and also help you achieve those long-term goals. We do need that reduction in training as you, yes. um, know better than anyone uh, that's what it's all about yep. improvements is, is changing your training all of the time yeah yeah no I, I completely agree now um what were your books and and which of them would re would help people in you know if they're interested in this topic yeah so there are three different books the first one sort of jumped into more of the theory science and then interval weight loss for life more of the practical implementation most men read that and then the latest one, Interval Weight Loss for Women, um, looks at the specifics, you know, issues that women face that us men never have to worry about, pregnancy, menopause, et cetera. But look, as a starting point for men and women, everyone, really the, the last one, Interval Weight Loss for Women, is the best go-to guide. Um, it will be at your library. You can go and borrow it, loan it, equip yourself with the information, um, or you can get, you know, an e-version, whatever, but do that. And then also... If you go onto the Interval Weight Loss website, there's a lot of downloadable information, short informational videos um, that we have produced to equip you again with that information to, so that you can learn those six principles. Uh, and then there's a lot of people that obviously read the books, implement, but there's others that read the books and follow it online so you can you know, download the app and make yourself accountable, log your weights, have it all on a dashboard, um, have your habit tracker, et cetera, et cetera. So it just depends on what sort of level of support you need, but there's something there um, for everyone. Excellent. Thank you. Now, if people want to um, follow what you're doing, is there anywhere that people can do that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, you'll find um, obviously my uh, university academic profile, my social accounts, all of these things at uh intervalweightloss.com and intervalweightloss.com.au so you okay. can go there as a sort of landing point and, and then navigate to what you want um, could be videos it could be books it could be more about my work my research um, that's probably the easiest point for everyone to go yep. to um, and yeah use that as, as hopefully as your go-to guide because there's a lot of misleading and wrong information out yeah. there there sure is so thank you yeah. so much for coming on to to highlight that and also to um, dispel the myth that we need to, to diet constantly to lose weight. Yes, and deprivation is not the answer either, no. particularly for runners. No, I totally agree. Well, thank you so much and we really appreciate your time. Thanks, Isabel. Keep up the great work and thanks for having me on. No worries. Thank you. Bye.
I really enjoyed that chat with Nick. I had never heard of interval weight loss, but it truly makes sense to me. We need to work with what we know about our bodies in that it's always trying to hold on to weight and not just try to rely on willpower, which is not the easiest when you're trying to lose weight. Anyway, have a great week of training and racing if you're lucky enough, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Bye. Bye.